Good. You guys like who you're sitting next to? If you don't, it's not too late. I'll tell you what to do. Church insider secret. Just pull that. I got to go to the bathroom and ghost them. Never come back. It's that easy. Anybody first time here? Anybody first time? Hey, let's give it up for our first timers. Hey, we just want to say welcome. Our, our only goal here at Young Adults is, is to make you feel at home. We, we believe in Jesus. We believe that he's the way to know God and to have a relationship with God. And we honestly, we mean this when we say you don't necessarily have to believe in what we believe in to belong here. And our prayer is, though, that if you spend enough time with, with us, we're just likable enough to where you might start. And Jesus is just awesome enough to where you might kind of catch what's going on here. And so if it's your first time here, we want to say welcome. We are so glad that you came and checked it out tonight. Um, hey, happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Did everybody have a good Valentine's Day? That was pretty pathetic. I'm assuming no. I had a great Valentine's Day. I had some um, mall food court uh, food for a romantic dinner. And then as I prepared this message, my wife and I watched Sweet Home Alabama. So... Try to top that one, fellas. Uh, no, did anybody have a uh, first date last night? A first date. Yeah. Nice. Did anybody have a last date last night? Anybody go on a last date? Awesome. Hey, on a, real, on a more serious note, I want to wish everybody a happy Black History Month. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not exactly sure if you wish people a happy Black History Month, but... But for real, I'm so thankful for my black brothers and sisters who, um, <laughs> thanks, God. <yeah. laughs> but for real, but through, through a lot of sinful and hateful opposition um, throughout our uh, country's history, you guys have fought for the equality of every human being um, created equal in the eyes of God, man and woman, regardless of skin color, race, ethnicity. And that isn't just a, a good social thing. That's a God thing. That's a Jesus thing. And so I just wanted to say, Happy Black History Month. We want to honor you guys and just say that we appreciate um, the mantle that you've been asked to carry. And we want to step in that with you and carry that as well. And so we, we want to honor you guys tonight before we get rolling. Um, does anybody have a Bible? Did anybody bring their Bible? If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Look to your neighbor. If they don't have a Bible, you have two options. You can give them your best Christian judgmental glance, or you can make a new friend and share your Bible with them. Choice is totally up to you. What would Jesus do? Um, no, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 9. And we're going to read uh, verse 9 through verse 13. So let me turn there as well. Matthew chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 9 through 13, and this is what it says. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, hey, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at the table at his house, and Mark tells us that this is actually Matthew's house that they went to. And so Jesus is like notorious for doing this thing of like, hey, come follow me. Okay, where are we going? Your house. Like, dinner at your house. Like, he did it to Zacchaeus. He did it to Matthew. I don't know why. This is just like Jesus' M.O. Like, as he was getting to like, no people, follow me. Where? Your house. Okay, sick. All right. And it says that Jesus reclined at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the haters of the day, saw this, they said to his disciples, 
Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, and I love how the message puts this, it said, when Jesus heard it, he shot back. I love this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The message said, says, I desire a heart of mercy, not a spirit of religion. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. And so the title of my message tonight is simply this, Lord have mercy. Look to your neighbor in your, in your best grandma southern accent. Give him a Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. And tonight, tonight within our series, How to Social, tonight I want to talk about the impact that we as Christians can have on our social climate, on our culture, when we approach it through the lens of mercy. Mercy is simply this, being merciful, obviously, but it's having compassion and having empathy for somebody in somebody's situation. Having compassion and having empathy for somebody in their situation. And my prayer tonight is that as we talk about and learn about how Jesus is this perfect model of mercy, that we can get in our spirits the spirit of mercy. How many people in here believe that a spirit of mercy can change some things in our culture today? How many people believe that if we have the same spirit that Jesus had, the same attitude towards mercy, we can actually engage and affect and, and dictate the direction of our social climate? Tonight, we're gonna talk about what it means to have a heart of mercy. And so before we jump in, let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We are so thankful for the mercy that you've already shown us. We're so thankful for everything that you've already done for us. And Jesus, you, you said that you came to lift the head of the weary, to hear, heal the heart of the broken, to heal the sick, the needy, to come and declare the year the Lord's favor. And Jesus, anything that I say, anything that we do tonight means nothing if it is not coming from you or glorifying you or pointing to you. And so Jesus, tonight, I just pray that you would take full front and center attention in our minds. Let everything that I say that has no eternal weight fall to the side. But Jesus, I, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified. And Holy Spirit, if anybody came in here tonight hurting, that you would walk with them. If anybody came here in need, that you would show them that you are their provider. God, I pray that you would just meet with your people. And we are excited to meet with you tonight. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Scott making me sound spiritual during my prayer. <laughs> Matthew chapter nine. So I have read Matthew a handful of times, a thousand times because I'm an awesome Christian. No, but I've read Matthew a handful of times. And every time I've kind of stumbled onto this story, I thought it was cool. I thought the point was, oh, this is cool. Jesus loves hanging out with bad people. Jesus loves hanging out with unchurched and non-Christian people. And the Bible actually even goes as far to say that Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. How many know if your only shout out in the Bible is as a sinner, you are probably like a bad person. Like I imagine like the people back in the day when like Matthew wrote this and the letter got out, they're like, oh my gosh, like I was at this party. Like, wait a minute, sinner? Like, what? Like, if, you, if your only shout out in the Bible is a sinner, you're not that great of a person. But every time that I've read this, 
this story. I've been challenged to be like Jesus in this sense. I need to be comfortable being around people that aren't like me, right? I need to be comfortable being around people that might not necessarily believe what I believe in. I need to be comfortable around people that are different from me. But as I was reading this passage this time around and I was studying for this, something totally different, like a different view, a different perspective jumped out of the page at me. And and it honestly made me see how awesome and how good our God is and how awesome his mercy really is, just kind of in a whole new light. So we know why Jesus likes to hang out with bad people. Jesus wants to hang out with these bad people, these sinners, because he is the answer to absolutely everything they've been looking for. If they're sick, Jesus is their healing. If they're in need, Jesus has everything that they need. If they're confused, if they're lost, if they're broken, Jesus has absolutely every single thing these people need. And so we know why Jesus wants to be with these people, because he wants to show them grace. He tells us, he's like, the, the, the healthy people don't need a doctor, it's the sick. I've come not for the, the righteous, but the sinners. So he, we know why Jesus wants to hang out with these certain people. But as I was reading this, I couldn't help but notice in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, it says something very specific. It says, Jesus was reclining with these bad people at this table. And who do you recline around, right? You recline around your friends. You don't walk into a party where you don't know anybody and you've never been to the house before and you kick up your feet and you, and you kind of like make yourself at home. You don't do that with strangers. Most of the time, at least for me, I'm very uptight around people that I don't know very well. But the Bible says that Jesus was with these people and he was reclining with these people. But get this, this is what I loved. It also says that these bad people, these sinners, were also reclining with Jesus. Jesus was comfortable with these people, but these people were actually comfortable being around Jesus. And it just made me think, like, if these were, like, the worst of the worst that society had to offer, and, we, and it is, I was reading one commentary, and they said that these people that Jesus would have been with were so bad that, that the rabbis and the Pharisees of that day actually wouldn't even let them come to the synagogue to, like, participate in worship. So even if they were, like, a bad person that was trying to get it right, like, they really couldn't. So Jesus was hanging out with the worst of the worst, and I found it interesting that the Bible says Jesus reclined with them, but it also specifically said that they reclined with Jesus. They were comfortable being at dinner with Jesus. Why would these people be comfortable being at dinner with one of the holiest people, the the holiest person this world has ever seen? And it made me think a better question. Would bad people, not necessarily bad, but unchristian people, would, would, would people be comfortable being around me that weren't like me? If I was in Jesus' situation, would these people be comfortable being around me? Why would they want to be around Jesus? They actually enjoy being around Jesus. And have any of you guys been around somebody with an agenda? Like, has anybody been around somebody with a religious agenda? Like, I went to a Christian school, and um, God bless it. I loved it. I loved my experience there. But I went to this Christian school, and everybody's got, like, that guy, like, in their class. And I don't even have to say anything else, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, that guy, like, in your class. And I remember this one specific class, we were kind of learning the logistics of, like, running a church, and we did this little project, and it was to, like, come up with, like, a church calendar and a church budget and present it to the board. And I was in, like, a group, like, a fake board. The rest of the class that wasn't in your group was the board, and 
And I, I was in this group of like two or three other people, and, and I was like the lead pastor of this fake project. And this guy, just he was just the guy that like everybody was just roll your eyes at, like when you walked by. Like he was commissioned by God apparently to correct everything anybody always said. The Bible says that there are prophets, teachers, evangelists, and apparently correctors, you know, and like he is the one and only one the Bible's ever commissioned to do this. And we're in, we're in our project, mind you, like this, this thing that like we're just doing to get a grade, you know, and I'm like up there presenting to the board like, all right, our church like wants to do a conference this year and hey, um, why a conference? I, there's no theological reference for a conference and it's just like, okay, okay. And then like, you know, we're like, hey, like, uh, we're going to bring in this speaker at this time, like the prep for Easter. I don't believe in that preacher's theological issues. And it's like, yeah, you're also single, so shut up, please. <laughs> like, for real, I remember getting really frustrated, and I kind of had this, like, fight with this kid, like, in the middle of our, like, thing. And our teacher even stopped it, and he's like, uh, is this, like, getting, like, heated or whatever? And he's like, hey, no, for real, he's like, hey, but this happens in church board meetings. So, like, that's awesome, you know, like... No, but we've all been around people with agendas, specifically religious agendas, and it's pretty annoying. But, like, for real, clearly that, like, wasn't happening as these people were with Jesus. Nobody wants to be around somebody with a stickler religious agenda, and these people actually enjoyed being around Jesus. And see, what got the Pharisees upset wasn't, I don't think what got the Pharisees upset wasn't necessarily that Jesus was being around these people. Because I think that if Jesus was around these people and he was rebuking them and he was criticizing them and he was belittling them and he was talking down to them, I think they would have actually loved Jesus' interaction with these people. I think they would have been pretty pumped about what Jesus was doing because that was like their interaction with these people. The Pharisees were amazing at giving their opinions about these people's life from an arm's distance away. The Pharisees had zero problem sharing an opinion about somebody without any relational context whatsoever. They were notorious for it. But I honestly believe Jesus in groups like this fought for a bridge of commonality between these people. I honestly believe that Jesus identified and dignified these people because he understood what it meant. He was the perfect embodiment of this word we're talking about called mercy. Jesus engaged and actually challenged and changed the religious culture and the, and the societal culture of his day because he understood what it meant to have a heart not of religion but a heart of mercy. And he is, there's no other person in the history of our world that has been more influential. Jesus understood what it meant to have a heart of mercy. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to talk to you guys about tonight is this. And remember, notes get you a bigger and better house in heaven. Mercy, my first point is this, mercy may not always change your opinion, but mercy will always change the position from which you give your opinion. I'm going to say that again because this is like critical. This is important. Mercy may not always change your opinion. Mercy may not always change the way you think about something, but it'll always change the position from which you give your opinion. See, the Pharisees were amazing 
at throwing their opinions at people, but never having any relational context. The, the Pharisees were amazing at standing across the street and tossing rocks at people and, and telling them how they should have lived their life and telling them why they're so bad and telling them like what to do without any relational context. But Jesus also shared his opinion. But Jesus shared his opinion from the position of a conversation at a dinner table. Mercy may not always make you see eye to eye with the person you're talking to. Like mercy may not always make you agree with the person that you've decided to engage with. Uh, honestly, if you are a Christian, it, you might not always want to agree with somebody. If it, if it ever comes to the point of arguing about God's truth and the truth of Jesus, mercy is not backing down from that position for, uh, for social acceptability or political correctness. However, mercy will always humanize before it criticizes. Mercy always humanizes before it judges somebody. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because God did that with us. Jesus is the perfect example of that. Mercy always humanizes before it casts judgment because Jesus is the embodiment of mercy. This is what I mean. Jesus changed his position to show us what mercy looks like. He didn't change the truth. Jesus didn't change what the truth was. He just changed his position. Literally, Jesus is eternal. He existed before anything else existed. And the Bible says that he went from heaven to earth. He embodied a human being. And in the greatest act of mercy, Jesus came and walked among, walked among us and lived among us and lived like we live so that he could experience what we experience, and he, he didn't do it to change the truth. He wanted to change his position so that we could see and understand the truth. And on top of that, Jesus was so loving and so caring, if you've never heard this before, that he loved you so much. The punishment for breaking all the rules that, that should be on our shoulders, he actually took. The greatest display of mercy on the planet. And if we as Christians... If we as Christians are going to be Christ's ambassadors, and if we're going to take this kind of mercy to the world, if we're going to be people that um, might not necessarily, we're not going to bend on the truth, we're not going to bend on the truth of who Jesus is or what he did, but we're willing to change our position to get that truth to somebody. If we're going to be those kind of Christians, it takes something, and it takes something that's very important and vital to mercy. Mercy takes security. Mercy as a Christian is not for the faint of heart. Mercy takes security. It takes security in who Jesus is. You got to know who Jesus is. It takes security in what he has done for you and who he has called you. Mercy takes security in who Jesus is. Why? Because we live in one of the most offendable cultures, I honestly believe, in the history of the world. Like, it is cool to be offended. Like, if you're not offended, you're not doing something right. And like, Everybody lives in this sort of like moral fluidity where like everybody finds like their own truth and like if you disagree with anybody's personal truth, like you are the worst person on the planet. Worst person on the planet. Uh, we are one of the most offendable cultures in the world and I honestly believe it's because we're also one of the most insecure cultures in the world. Offendability and insecurity always walk hand in hand together. And I honestly believe right now, it is a time for us as Christians, we cannot be insecure anymore. We have to lay a hold of the promises that Jesus has spoken to us. We have to lay a hold of the truth of who we are in Christ. We have to lay a hold of everything that God has done and everything that God says that we are if we want to show mercy to a hurting and dying and broken world. 
Because this is why, if you are an insecure Christian, newsflash, the world is not going to believe absolutely everything that you believe. And so if you are an insecure Christian trying to take mercy out to the world, guess what? It is going to eat you alive. And this is what I mean. People are going to disagree with you. People are going to think you are stupid. People are going to think you are wrong. People are going to think you're religious and you've got all these rules for for living your life. And if you are an insecure Christian, here's what's going to happen. You are slowly but surely going to start shrinking back and shrinking away from anyone and everyone that thinks differently from you, that looks differently from you. And you're going to soon find yourself surrounded only by people that look like you, talk like you, think like you, act like you. And there's no way for you to carry grace out into the world anymore because you're only surrounded by people just like you and inside of your heart you slowly become bitter and you slowly become hurt and offended and cynical and you no longer can carry out the message of grace and you just start to toss your religious opinions at people instead of sit down at a table and engage with people but as a Christian if I am secure in Christ Your opinion, no matter how different it is from mine, does not offend me at all. Why? Because I know what I believe. Better yet, I know exactly in whom I believe. I know what has been done for me. I know what Jesus has done for me. He saved me. He has healed me both spiritually and physically. He has lifted me up when I have been down. I know what has happened for me. So I lose absolutely nothing by sitting down at a table and having a conversation with somebody that does not see things the way that I see them. Because I am secure and I am assured of who I believe. Therefore, I can disagree with you and it does not shake me. I think of, I think of insecure Christians. Insecure Christians, there's like analogy of a river that a pastor that I listened to gave and, and it's perfect for this. Imagine um, somebody is in this river and they are drowning. And an insecure Christian walks up to this river and they see this person, this, this, this sinner bad person in a river drowning and this person is yelling for help. They are screaming desperately for somebody to help. An insecure Christian will stand at the bank of the river and tell them all the different ways they warn them not to get in the river in the first place. I told you not to jump in that river. It's fast. I told you. I told you the lifestyle you were living was wrong. It was going to lead you to drown in this river. I was right. You were wrong. I was right. You were wrong. I'm going to tweet about it. I'm going to Instagram hate about it. Look at this fool drowning in a river. Ah, you know what I mean? Like an insecure Christian goes to the bank of a river and just criticizes somebody for drowning. You know what a secure Christian does? If they walk up and see somebody drowning in a river, a secure Christian who views the world and views people through the lens of mercy says, guess what? I don't really care what this person thinks about a river. I don't care their thoughts if they think differently about a river than I do. Somebody is drowning and I need to change my position from being on a bank of a river to end the the river to save somebody if somebody is drowning they don't need you to read them a book about how to swim if somebody is drowning they don't need you to talk about how amazing life jackets are or how critical it is to have good swimming lessons if somebody is drowning they need somebody to jump in and save them and let me ask you a question if the person who is drowning, who do you think's opinion they're more likely to listen to? The person screaming at them while they're drowning uh, in a river or the person that's willing to jump in and be with them eye to eye and change the position and help pull them out of the situation that they're in? 
It takes security as a Christian to be able not to waver on your opinion about Jesus, but to be able to change your position to meet people where they're at, to go from tossing stones from across the street to sitting down at a table and looking at somebody eye to eye and having a conversation. Mercy as a Christian is willing to sit at a table. We need more dinner table Christians. We need fewer and fewer Twitter, Instagram hating Christians. And we need more and more dinner table Christians that are willing to take somebody, help somebody, not criticize somebody, and sit down and change our position, not our opinion, but our position. Mercy may not always change your mind, and as a Christian, it shouldn't. But I pray that it's always asking you to change the position from which you give your opinion, from which you share the truth. My second point tonight is this. Mercy listens. Mercy listens. Simple as that. Mercy listens. In a world that is always looking and jockeying and battling for the loudest opinion, we literally can turn on our phones and at any given minute, we can have probably around 10,000 different opinions thrown at us in the course of like 60 seconds. And, and here's how our world operates. Normally the loudest, most aggravated, most hurt opinion, the most consistent normally wins. In a culture and a societal climate where everybody has an opinion and everybody is an expert. Like, do we have any NBA fans in here? Any NBA fans? I love the NBA. When the Cleveland Cavaliers made, literally traded their whole team away and got a brand new team for LeBron, so he'll stay. When, when Cleveland, do you know how many NBA experts that have never played an NBA game came out on Twitter and criticized every move they ever made? There are so many experts in our world today. Experts. There are so many experts. But in a world where the loudest, most cranky voice normally wins, mercy actually listens. What made Jesus so appealing to these sinners? What made Jesus so appealing to these bad people? I have to believe that over the course of his human life, Jesus had to be one of the best listeners on planet Earth. You don't want to be around somebody that always has something to say and never wants to listen to you. These people loved being around Jesus. They reclined with Jesus. They considered Jesus a friend. Jesus had to be one of the best listeners on planet Earth. While other religious figures of that day talked at people, I'm sure Jesus always made sure that he talked with people. And he genuinely engaged and genuinely listened to what these people had to say. You want to stand out in our culture today? Listen. You want to build a platform for yourself in our culture today? A real platform? One that like matters? Listen to people. Listen to people. Humanize people by giving them the dignity of listening to them. And I guarantee you, your circle will grow. Your influence will grow. People will like being around you because you listen before you toss your opinion from across the street. And Ben, you guys can make your way on up. Recently, a few of our directors um, that help that run our church and lead our church had an opportunity to go to England to be a part of something that this church over there does. And this church in England puts on this gigantic, like, 10-week event. And, and if you guys don't know, England is what's considered a post-Christian nation, meaning, like, even, like, the 
I, I don't know, like the false Christian morals that like, you know, we say that we like hold on to, like they don't even care about like Christian morals anymore. Like, and so England is like a post-Christian nation. And so this church puts on this 10 week event. It's huge. It's like 900 to 1,000 people, which is in, insane for England. And they get all these people to come to this building and their only objective at this function, it's not a service, is to listen to people and what they think. And here's what they do. They, they get a room of this size. So literally imagine this room and they put little tables out with food and with drinks and they circle around um, with about eight to 10 tables and they, uh, they, they pose questions and simply dialogue. And I mean, they'll share like what they, so, they'll, so the first question will be something like this. Who do you think God is? And they'll either show a video or literally give like a two to three minute talk about like, this is who we believe God is. What do you think? And they do not push their church agenda. They don't push like upcoming services or outreach or anything like that. They genuinely are there to listen to what these people have to say and what these people think. And, and they were saying the method behind this, which this is crazy, imagine this. Um, they honestly believe that the Holy Spirit will actually draw people to Jesus as they have these conversations. And so as these conversations are going on, they're praying for people, they're caring for people, and they're listening to what people have to say. They're listening to these people and they believe that God is going to do all the heavy lifting. And so in one of these roundtable discussions, there was this specific girl who came and eventually opened up. And I think the question was, who do you think God is? Who is God? And this girl said, I believe God is like a cat. And if you are anything like me, immediately written off in my head, like <laughs> this girl's tripping on something. God is not a cat, but no, she's like, I think God is a cat. And if you're anything like me, yeah, you'd write her off. But then they said as they sat and they listened to her, they found out that this girl actually came from a very abusive home with abusive parents. And the only time she ever felt like she had any sense of comfort or any sense of safety or security was with her cat. Because her cat was the only person that wouldn't hit her or judge her or mistreat her. And so when she was saying God is like a cat, she wasn't saying God meows. She was saying, <laughs> she was saying God is my security. Like God, I, th I think that if there's a God, he would be the place that I go to to feel comfort, to feel safe. Like, and, it, and see, if you're me, I write her off immediately. But when we have the, the mercy, when we have the patience to listen to somebody, we realize what they're saying. And over the course of this 10 weeks, this girl actually gave her life to Jesus just because people would listen to her. And get this, this is insane. Of the 900 to 1,000 people that come and literally just listen and talk about who they think God is without any prodding or without anything like that. And the guy said, we don't back away from the truth. We just, our goal is to listen to people. We don't preach at people. 82% of the people that attend make a decision to follow Jesus by the end of it. 82%. That is insane. And he said, you want to know what we've learned over the course of doing this, this outreach where we just like listen to people? We have learned way more that people aren't even necessarily interested about your opinion unless they know you're willing to listen to them. People don't really care about what you have to think unless they know that you're willing to listen to what they think. They said this, um, do you love me enough to listen to me? 
to show me in your actions, not just your opinion, but your actions, that God is real and that he actually cares about what I think. Mercy listens to people and it's willing not to compromise the truth, but just the position from which we present the truth if we can listen to somebody. Mercy listens. And real quick, my last point is this. A spirit of mercy always chooses empathy. A spirit of mercy always, always chooses empathy. Empathy means not just to feel bad for somebody. Empathy is not about feeling bad for anyone. Empathy means to actually feel for someone. Empathy means to understand and to experience what somebody else has experienced. And isn't that Jesus? Isn't that our God? A God who, who knew no sin? He came down and experienced what we experienced. Mercy doesn't just pity us. Mercy actually comes and experiences what we experience in our life. Man, what should that tell us about how we interact with our society? What should that tell us about how we as Christians interact with, with people that don't think like us or might not share the same opinion as us? Before we judge or share our opinion, imagine if we just listen and practice some empathy for not just feeling bad for people that be, might be making wrong life decisions or might be walking away from Jesus, but if we stepped in to those people's shoes. Imagine what that could do to impact our world, if we no longer just toss opinions, but we step in to situations that other people step into. Can I be real for a minute? Just straight up, be real for a minute. Sorry if this offends you, but not really. We live in a country right now where there are people that are asking, does my black life matter as much as yours? And everybody's got an opinion, right? And we live in a country right now where women are still treated as property. And we live in a country right now where there are women that sit in these seats and wonder, can I follow the dream that God has put in my heart because of my gender? We live in a country where people are asking questions and our gut reaction is to respond with an opinion. We want to respond, respond, but mercy will sit in that tension and it'll change the view and it doesn't necessarily change the truth. It just changes the position that we get it. We, we present the truth and it listens and it says, I'm going to feel what you feel. Listen, I am not black. I wanted to be ever since I saw Allen Iverson play basketball, but I am not a black man and I am not a female. Therefore, I cannot relate to the problem of feeling discriminated because of my skin or my gender. But as a Christian, I am called to step into that situation and say, you know what? I might not know what that feels like. I might not know what it feels like to be judged because of how God designed me, of how God beautifully and intentionally designed me to be. But I am going to step into that situation and I'm going to feel what you feel. Even if it's not natural, I'm going to like, I'm going to hurt with you. I'm going to struggle with you. I'm going to fight with you because that is what mercy does. It comes alongside and it feels. Do you know that as a white man that can't relate to a lot of these problems, do you know that Jesus actually cannot relate to a lot of our problems? 
And I know that might sound weird to hear, but Jesus actually did not relate very well to our sin. The Bible says that he was without sin. And David actually says in the Bible that we are born into sin. We are born into iniquity. And the Bible says that Jesus never sinned a day in his life. So when it comes to sin, Jesus can't relate. He cannot relate, just like I cannot relate. But in the greatest act of mercy and the greatest act of empathy, 1 Corinthians 5 says that he who knew no sin became sin. He stepped in. It wasn't enough for him to look down from heaven and say, I feel for that. I'm going to try to do something to fix that. I wish they had found a solution. He came down from heaven and stepped in in the greatest act of mercy, changing his position so that he can feel. And not only did he feel, this is how amazing Jesus is, he actually felt more than we'll ever feel. Because the Bible says, he who became, who knew no sin became sin, so we can become righteousness. Jesus actually felt what it was like to pay the price for our sin. The person that never committed a single sin, who, who literally couldn't relate to us in the sense of sin commitment, actually knew what it was like, not just to, to commit a sin, but paid the actual price of what it was like to commit a sin. The greatest act of mercy, the greatest act of empathy in the world to step down from heaven and feel what we feel because he loves us. If you're in here tonight, and you don't know Jesus, I wanna let you know right now that there is a God in heaven who loves you so desperately that he was not afraid and did not hesitate to leave heaven and step down into earth so that he could have a relationship with you. He had, there was nothing, we didn't earn it. We definitely do not deserve it. God owed us nothing, Jesus owed us nothing. And in the greatest act of mercy displayed to the world, he changed not the truth. He's the truth. He's the way. He's the life. He never compromised on that. There, it's not multiple ways to God. He is God. And he never wavered from that. But what he did was he changed the position from which he presented that truth. He listened to us when we call out to him. And Jesus, hanging on a cross, said, God, why have you forsaken me? So right now in this moment, we could say, God, I need you come close. And God listens and he answers. If you're in here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to meet this Jesus. I wanna give you an opportunity to meet the God that loves you so much that he would sit with you even if you don't know him. That like, imagine the conversations Jesus must have been in around these people. They probably talked about affairs. They probably talked about getting drunk and getting hammered. Maybe, maybe even talked about worshiping other gods around Jesus. And he loved these people so much he didn't judge. He sat down and had a conversation. And if you don't know God, I want to give you the opportunity to know God because right now he loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I want to ask if you don't know Jesus, on the count of three to raise your hand. I'm gonna to count to three and I want you to raise your hand, but I, I honestly want you to know something. If you came in here tonight and God's not real to you, that's okay. I wanna affirm you that even if he's not real to you, he still knows your name. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows exactly what you're going through. And because he has empathy, not sympathy for you, he has empathy for you. He wants to come in and step into your situation. So on the count of three, one, Jesus loves you with everything. You have no idea how much he cares for you. Two, he died so that you can have an undefiled, unhindered relationship with God. Three, if you wanna accept Jesus tonight, would you please lift your hand? 
Awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. You can put your hand down. Can everybody stand up? I want to challenge everybody in here, whether you just accepted Jesus or not. First off, can we give it up for the people that accepted Jesus? That's the best decision you'll ever make. The Bible says literally heaven is rejoicing because your eternal destination is sealed and and you're going to be with God forever, a God that's not upset with you. He loves you and you're going to be able to enjoy him forever as he enjoys you. But everybody in here, I want to commission you tonight. I really want young adults to be known as a place that's willing to change our position, not our opinion about Jesus, but our position. If you feel, I don't know, oh man, this is gonna be weird. If you feel, can this be a safe place? If you feel like you've ever had any, any hate in your heart for somebody, because of their skin color, if you feel like you've ever had any, can we just like repent of that tonight while we're worshiping? If you've ever been in a place where you have thrown out opinions about people without sitting down and get to know them, can we just, can we just ask God to rip our hearts out and say, God, would you make us a place that'll change our position, that'll listen to people and that'll walk in and step into somebody else's situation, even if, even if I don't relate, even if I can't understand. And I promise you, nothing echoes the heart of heaven more. Nothing echoes the heart of heaven more than a group of people that have determined that I will show mercy to somebody because that is exactly what Jesus has shown to us. Can we pray and then we're gonna worship. Jesus, we love you so much. God, thank you for the mercy that you've given us. God, thank you for the fact that you chose to die for us when we didn't deserve anything. My prayer tonight is as young adults that we can be a place that understands mercy, that we can hear the cry of the hurting in our culture, that we can hear what is really kind of underneath all the opinions and all the arguments and all the fighting. We can hear the cry of pain because Jesus, you're attractive. People loved you. People that didn't even know you loved being with you. And so God, I pray, I pray young adults can be known as a place that shows mercy where all are welcome. And we listen to people and we feel for people and we walk with people the way Jesus has done for us. God, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.